listeners, I'm your host, Skylar Scott, and today on the Leadcast, we have some amazing segments to listen to, as well as a very special guest all the way from the Kansas City Ballet. Our segments today include a very special interview conducted by Grace Price with a professional Kansas City ballerina, Courtney Knitting, Mindful Moment brought to you by Audrey, Game Scoops presented by Barrett, and finally, Add Me on Snap with Kalia, Alyssa B., and interviewee Camden Crawford. For our first segment of the day, let's go over to Grace Price, who conducted an interview with a professional ballerina from the Kansas City Ballet, Courtney Knitting, and got a bit of insight into her life and experience dancing. and I'm so excited to be interviewing Courtney Knitting with the Kansas City Ballet. Thank you for talking with me today. Of course, thank you for having me. (laughs) So let's just start with when did you start dancing? I started dancing at the age of three and I am currently 25 years old. Awesome, and where did you start dancing? My training began at the New Jersey School of Ballet, which is a home studio located where I'm from. And then I went on to train at the School of American Ballet in New York City, which is the affiliate school of the New York City Ballet. And that's where I completed all of my dance training. Awesome. And who would you say is a person in your early ballet training that inspired you? Ooh, that's such a good question. (laughs) I feel like, honestly, Jillian Murphy was a huge inspiration for me. Um, She is a principal dancer still currently at the American Ballet Theater. And at the time when I was first starting as a dancer, I feel like there wasn't really a lot of principals, you know, big dancers that had red hair. Mm -hmm. And for me, I have red hair, I'm ginger. And I feel like um, to see somebody kind of look like you up mm-hmm. on the stage and um, watch her videos and things, that really always inspired me, um, as well as just my family in general, their support and knowing that they always were there at all of my, you know, recitals or performances, that that always just kind of kept me going and kept me inspired, I yeah, think. Yeah, you know, definitely. family is everything, so. yeah. And you mentioned that you joined the School of American Ballet in New York. So what age did you decide to join SAB? So I actually didn't want to go to SAB, which I think is really funny. I auditioned because I was told by New Jersey Ballet, go try to get into some bigger schools for a summer course. Mm -hmm. And I had gotten into ABT and SAB. um, And I went to ABT my first year. And then because I had gotten into SAB my second summer, Um, when I was 13, I think I was just turning 13, um, they actually, two weeks into the program, accepted me into their winter term, even though I didn't ask them to look at me for that. They just automatically offered it to me. And so my mom and I and my whole family, we really had to discuss, is this something that you know, it's a big change to move to mm-hmm. New York and right. be in a big school, but I just felt like it was an opportunity that maybe wouldn't come around again if I had turned it down. Mm-hmm. And so I said yes. So that's how I got into SAB. It was so crazy and not what I expected at all, especially <laughs> because I didn't want to go to SAB. Mm-hmm. I was, I only went because my mom was kind of saying, no, you got in this year. You, you should go somewhere else, you know, try something new and experience something different. And so um, I was very hesitant. You know, the training is very different than what I was used to. And right. so to go um, there and then end up falling in love with it and then to be asked in the winter term, it kind of like 
was full circle. It was really, yeah. it was really kind of a funny, a funny way of finding my own home. Yeah. Yeah, and that's definitely a big change at 13, especially with school. So what did school look like for you? Yeah, that's such a good question. Um, so I actually went to regular school until I was in the seventh grade um, because I was able to commute from my, you know, regular home school to my New Jersey Ballet to, to there. But when I went to SAB, um, because it was too far from my home, I ended up doing online school. Um, and at, at first, before I even knew what online school was, my family tried to homeschool me for <laughs> about a month, and that failed miserably. So then we ended up buying a program called, um, I originally started with K-12, and then I moved on to Keystone, which a lot of dancers now use. Mm -hmm. It's a great program. Um, yeah, and I finished high school just all online. So I would do, I would usually get up in the morning and do school and go to class and then do some more school, that kind of thing. So yeah, but yeah. I did school online. Yeah, that's awesome. Was that ever, like, difficult for you to complete school and dance? You time? know, I feel like when you love something so much, you become dedicated and disciplined for it. So for me to go to a big school like SAB was such a blessing that I was like, this small sacrifice to do school online was not a big deal. And also for me, I was honestly bullied a lot in school because I was a dancer. A lot of kids, you know, would just be like, oh, Courtney wears her hair in a bun, you know, and um, I would sit at the lunch table by myself. I always said my, the lunch ladies were my best friends because they would sit with me because nobody wanted to sit with me because, you know, I would be the girl reading a book during lunch or looking at ballet or, you know, practicing steps, you know, in the halls or whatever. So doing online was actually kind of a blessing because it meant I could just focus on my school and then I could really enjoy ballet without having the mix of the crazy teenage social aspect mm -hmm. which wasn't particularly super fun for me yeah um but yeah that's, yeah that's what I would say and I think that's what a lot of people don't understand about ballet is how much dedication it takes and yeah. how much time has to be put into ballet yeah. I think a lot of people think it's easy but I mean it's really not and if there's something you could wish you could tell your younger self, what would that be? Oh my gosh, there's so many things. Actually, I was talking to my family about this the other day because as you go through the process of training for ballet, like you do, you know, and like I do still, even though I'm in a professional company, we're still always trying to get better. We're still always trying to grow. And I think it's hard to look back and be like, I wish I knew this because that's part of the journey. But if I could tell my younger self something, it would definitely be to enjoy it a little bit more. I put a lot of pressure on myself about working hard and being the hardest worker in the room. And also, I think if I didn't do a step well, you know, I would stay in the studio an extra half an hour, an extra hour until I got that step right, which it was good because it made me a better dancer today. So I appreciated all of my hard work and dedication then, but it also meant I didn't spend a lot of time with friends or mm -hmm. I made sometimes, I think, too many sacrifices when it came to even, like, being a kid, mm -hmm. you know, it's okay to go out and have ice cream with your friends. It's okay mm -hmm. to, you know, eat a burger or whatever, you yeah. know, like, sure, you need to eat healthy and you need to, you know, make sure you exercise and take your Epsom salt bath and mm -hmm. do all the things for your body because it's a full time job. We are, mm -hmm. you know, I think as close as it gets as a career to an Olympic athlete. So mm -hmm. you need to put all of that focus and, you know, 
um, drive into creating a world and a, and a schedule and a routine that you can stick with in order to, mm-hmm. to have longevity in this career. Mm-hmm. But I also think you have to have balance. Yes. And so I would just tell myself, I would tell my younger self or advise my younger self to just mm-hmm. be like, it's okay. Yeah. You can go ice skating. You know, don't be scared that you're going to like roll your ankle. Like it's okay to do it once during Christmas or, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's okay to not stretch tonight because you want to watch a TV mm-hmm. show, you know, yeah. maybe just a little yeah. bit more. I think I found my balance now, but I would have told mm-hmm. my younger self to have a little more balance when I was still training. Yeah, definitely. And that's very <laughs> nice to hear because yeah. I feel like I struggle with the same things. I think a lot of younger dancers yeah. do, but yeah. Um, kind of going back to your SAB training, mm-hmm. after you training at SAB, that's when you decided to go professional and join the Kansas City Ballet. So, was that a difficult step joining a professional company? Yeah. So actually, getting my job here with Kansas City Ballet was really difficult. So at the School of American Ballet, you start auditioning for companies at seventeen. Mm. That's kind of the age that they start saying, hey, you need to go audition and see how you pan out amongst, you know, other people auditioning. Um, And so my first year when I auditioned, I think I was in C2, so I was actually the um, level below the highest level in the school. Mm -hmm. So um, I auditioned, and I got some, you know, interest from places, but I didn't get any offers. And then even my second year, when I was then in the highest level, D, in Mm -hmm. SAB, I also got a couple offers, but a lot of them were in Europe. And at the time, I just wasn't really ready to Mm -hmm. move to Europe. And so actually when I graduated the school at 19, um... I didn't have a job. Mm. That's what I think is, ever, is, is interesting about my story is a lot of people, I think, um, think, oh, you know, you, you see a dancer in a company and it's like, wow, they have this like perfect life. Mm-hmm. And it's so funny because that wasn't me at all. When mm-hmm. I left the school, I didn't have anything. You know, I didn't mm-hmm. have money to pay for point shoes. I didn't have a place to live. Luckily, my family still supported me, but I had to get um, a job outside of ballet, which I just worked the front desk at a local um, open class ballet studio where I got free classes. Um, luckily, my parents still supported me so that I could have food and things. Um, and then I probably did close to 200 open auditions before I got my job here at Kansas City Ballet. And originally, I signed a second company contract, which Mm -hmm. at the time, I was then, I think, turning 20 or 21. Mm -hmm. And I I felt rushed. I felt, oh my gosh, I'm behind. I need Mm -hmm. to be in a main company. Mm -hmm. You know, why am I signing for a second company? Mm -hmm. You know, I felt like I had already done that in the school, especially coming from a big school like SAB. Mm -hmm. And so... um, Funny enough, one day I then randomly got an email after I had signed the second company contract and our artistic director here at Kansas City Ballet, Devin Carney, he had bumped me up out of nowhere. And so it was kind of like full circle. Like I went through this whole process and journey of like feeling so behind and Mm -hmm. like I needed more and, you know, understanding that no matter what I get, I'm still going to be appreciative of it and work my hardest. And Mm -hmm. then it kind of was like a gift was presented to me like, no, you did the work. Here's your, here's your contract. And, um, yeah, now this is my fifth season. So it was a, it was a hard adjustment to, you know, think you're going in a second company and then all of a sudden you're in a main Mm -hmm. company. I think, especially when I joined the company, there were maybe two or three other dancers that were close to my age. I was 21. Everybody else was late 20s, early 30s. Mm. 
Um, the company looks very different now, but back then I was the ba I was literally the baby of the company. Everybody would say mm -hmm. that if you talk to other dancers now, they're like, Courtney was the rookie, Courtney was the baby, <laughs> you know. And um, I was fine being independent and being on my own, but again, I think because of how closed off I was as a kid and being so focused at ballet, it was hard for me to make friends here yeah. and to find my routine of how am I going to survive now doing this as a as a job um, because mm -hmm. you know when you're doing it in the school you have okay you have to do school you have to do mm -hmm. this you have to do that you know when you get into a company you have to make sure you do all your things you know you have to do mm -hmm. laundry on Sunday you have to bake food make food on a certain day so that you have a meal the next night right. you know it's a very different way of living mm -hmm. um, and uh, luckily it took me probably about three months to really find mm -hmm. my groove so I always say the the biggest thing for a young dancer when or even if you're not a dancer, when you're mm -hmm. starting a new job, is give yourself patience to mm -hmm. acclimate to the new place. Like, yes. you're, it's going to take time for you to feel comfortable, mm -hmm. you know? And um, and that was something that I definitely had to learn. Yeah. And now now I feel comfortable, but it took, yeah. it took some time, for sure. Yeah, definitely. For sure, yeah. And then could you just explain to us, like, what the day in the life as a professional ballerina looks like for you? Sure. Well, my day in the life can be very different on day to day because we get our schedule two days um, in advance. So, oh, wow. you know, if we rehearse on um, Thursday. I then on Thursday get my Saturday schedule. So mm -hmm. it's kind of like you have to, you're planning your days very um, by the hour. Um, mm -hmm. But typically, um, like during a Nutcracker day, let's say, which mm -hmm. is what we're rehearsing right now, um, I wake up around 7, or at least I set my alarm at 7. <laughs> um, I can sometimes get, I usually get out of bed at like 7.20. But um, I get up, uh, and like brush my teeth, kind of do like a little morning routine. It's not nothing crazy, but I usually brush my teeth and um, wash my face, put some makeup on. I used to do my hair a lot when I was home, mm -hmm. uh, especially as a, as a student. I would always do my hair at home. But now because I've been in a company, sometimes I prefer to just sit in the studio with my warm-ups on. So I, I usually don't do my hair uh, anymore. Mm -hmm. um, and then I'll make myself um, a quick breakfast, which is usually like two eggs and toast, mm -hmm. um, and definitely a big glass of water. That's something that I mm -hmm. learned, and it took me um, a long time to learn. But I'm not one to drink coffee, mm -hmm. but as a dancer, I feel you need to hydrate and I'm mm. sometimes not the best at that. So making sure I get in a big glass of water in yeah. the morning is important. And then we have class. Um, I commute to the studio, which takes me about half an hour. Mm. I warm up for probably about another half an hour. And then we have our company class for an hour and 15 minutes. We get a 15 minute break. And then usually I'm one of the dancers in the company that has a very heavy workload. Mm. So I don't typically have an hour off. Uh, so I will rehearse from 11 to 2 um, with five-minute breaks every 55 minutes. That's kind of our rule so that you can change your shoes or go to the bathroom. Or for me, it's usually eat a banana and mm -hmm. um, drink water and hydrate and all those things. Maybe roll out a muscle that's tight. Um, we have lunch for an hour from 2 to 3, which... Also, because I'm a workaholic, um, I don't always take my lunch break because I like to be in the studio and I'll, I like to work extra hard and mm -hmm. I'll go in the studio with some friends and mess around. Or if I find some students around, I'll help them with a variation <laughs> or things. I love doing that. Um, and then we rehearse then again from three to six with also those five-minute breaks in between. And then I commute home. I did teach in the academy as well. 
Um, but because I have a pretty heavy season this year, I'm not. But I typically would then teach um, maybe three to four days a week from maybe six to eight or something like that, uh, a couple days a week, go home. Um, and then I always eat dinner right away because I'm always starving. And <laughs> that's usually something basic, like a protein with a, a starch and maybe a vegetable. And then I'm such a sweet tooth, so I always have something sweet. If it's ice cream or um, a piece of chocolate or a big piece of chocolate or something <laughs> sweet, a cupcake. I don't know. I always have something sweet for dessert. And then um, I take a shower and then I always elevate and roll out my legs every night. And if I need ice for certain things, um, like during Nutcracker, I usually do ice buckets um, or, you know, heat certain things I actually newly invested in compression um pants mm, boots whatever yeah, you want to call them yeah, yeah. I invested in them and I use them a lot at night as well to kind of get the circulation in my legs and heal everything from from dancing all day but pretty much I'm in a point two from nine fifteen until six at night non-stop yeah. so it's it's heavy on your body you know mm-hmm. so you have to make sure you take that time to recover and relax and I'm one of the dancers that not everybody likes this, but I like my eight to nine hours of sleep. So I try to get to bed mm-hmm. by like 10, 10, 30. 11 is like, oh, no, I'm not going to get as much sleep. So I, I'm, I can be a night owl on the weekends, <laughs> totally. But on the weekdays, I try to stick to a good schedule. Mm-hmm. That way I feel rested throughout the day. So Yeah, I think that's great to hear also with such an intense schedule, also making time to take care of yourself and your own, like, health and mental well-being. Yeah. <laughs> I think dancers are, you know, athletes of God and athletes of just like mm, magic, I think, mm-hmm. because we do all these hard things and it's our job to make it look easy. Mm. And I think a lot of people don't realize how much wear and tear mm-hmm. goes into the, into that. Or even in the sense of if I go home, you know, I will add this into my daily schedule as well I probably sew up to three pairs of point shoes a week Mm -hmm. and that's something that you always have to have you know because it's our tool it's what we use to you know do everything that we do so there's always um extra things that go on behind the scenes besides just putting on a costume and and dancing on stage which people don't don't realize and um even as a student you you get into that process and you understand Mm -hmm. but it's not really until you experience it that you're like, oh my gosh, this is, this is hard. You know, it's very hard. Um, and so I, I say, you know, I'm very lucky. I don't feel like I work a day in my life because Mm -hmm. I love what I do. But if you don't love this career, oh my gosh, you're in a lot of torture and a lot of pain because it's, it's taxing. It's, Mm -hmm. it's very difficult. So, but I'm, I'm blessed that this is what I chose for, Mm -hmm. for my life and, you know, and to hopefully inspire others to continue on the, the path of keeping classical ballet alive, (laughs) you know, are alive. Yeah. 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 And then lastly, um, you were named Casey Ballet's Emerging Dancer of 2022, and you were one of Dance Magazine's 25 to watch for 2022. Yes. These are big achievements in the dance world. So what do these achievements mean to you? Oh, my gosh. I actually just got chills. Um, (laughs) So I found out about being named Emerging Dancer um, over the summer. So before our season had started, um, I had gotten an email, and then I got a call from our artistic director, uh, and he he said I had been named that. And it's really for a dancer that is kind of up and coming and showing a lot of work Mm -hmm. 
-hmm. being put in in the studio and proving it on stage and to kind of have that recognition from your boss I think is very nice and also knowing that um, you know your work is paying off because it takes so much to do what we do that was um, a really beautiful blessing as well as you know the donors are a big part of keeping ballet alive and the particular donor that um, had sponsored me for that achievement um, I know very well, and uh, we go to lunch and stuff, and so it was very nice to kind of see, a, like, feel like a family member was supporting me, so that was uh, really a beautiful blessing. Um, and then Dance Magazine was a total shock. <laughs> that was something I did not expect at all. Mm -hmm. um, we actually were in one of our first rehearsals for Serenade, the program that we were rehearsing in the fall, mm -hmm. and randomly I get you know, pulled aside in, in the middle of the rehearsal mm -hmm. and our ballet mistress pulled me into the hallway and she was like, Courtney, I need to tell you something. Mm -hmm. And I, I swore I was in trouble. <laughs> I, I just, I stood there, you know, death stare, just, mm -hmm. oh gosh, please, what did I do? <laughs> and next thing she tells me is, um, you need to go to Devin's office. You know, there's something exciting he wants to tell you. And mm -hmm. so I go into his office and he was like, you know, um, you've been picked for Dance Magazine. And what I the cooler thing that I thought was they only pick, Dance Magazine only picks a certain amount of dancers mm -hmm. each year, but you can be nominated multiple mm. years. And so what I didn't know is that he had been nominating me since I first joined the company. And so wow. I got the award four years later. They just happened, they picked my name this wow. particular year. Yeah. And so to know that he was advocating for me for that long was really cool besides the fact that I saw myself in a magazine I the picture and the interview was so cool with a uh, you know a writer for a magazine and a publisher I was like this is amazing um you know it was a dream come true I looked at dance magazine ever since I was little yeah um I got a subscription I also got a subscri subscription to point magazine too and so yeah. I've always wanted to be you know uh, on the cover like how how cool is that you know yeah. and um and to have that as kind of a, a bucket list check, you know, not many people can say that they, 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 they have things like that, right. you know, and I'm, I feel very blessed and lucky. Um, and it's also created a new community for me, which mm -hmm. is nice. You know, I know people from dance magazine. I have made new friends through that. Um, so it's opened a lot of doors for mm. me in getting me in contact with, um, different sponsors like Perfect Fit Toe Pads for mm. our point shoes, who I'm an ambassador for now, as well as working with companies like Body Wrappers, which mm. sponsor tights and things like that. It helps, you know, it's all the things that accumulate to being a ballet dancer, and, yeah. it, and it opened a lot of doors for me, and um, I really love to be an advocate for young dancers who want to do this as a career, and that it's a beautiful thing, and, mm. and keep the positivity and the energy, and to be given something like that kind of as a a reward of the work that I put in for that is uh, is something I really can't I can't put into words it's very yeah. priceless it's yeah. just like a dream come true you know yeah. it was I think when I first saw the magazine article and I saw my face you know next to a, a bunch of different beautiful big mm -hmm. names it's just like a pinch me moment. Like yeah. you just really can't believe it. And what's funny is the day that the article came out, actually, I was doing Snow Queen for our Nutcracker here at Kansas City, um, but COVID was still very much a thing. Mm. And so um, 
we were dealing with kind of some cases as well in the company. Mm -hmm. We didn't even know if we were going to perform, and it was this whole big thing. Meanwhile, I was sitting in the corner like, but I'm top 25 today. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, this is supposed to be the greatest day ever. And it was just so crazy, you know. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a kind of like a moment like you never forget. You just put it in, mm -hmm. your, in your history books. But, yeah, it's yeah. a very... Um, my family kind of makes fun of me because they're like, Courtney's a little mini celebrity. And I'm like, no, you know, it's, it's just something uh, I'm very blessed to have. And, yeah. uh, and it's a memory. And, and if anything, I just hope it inspires younger generations that even if you've had it really tough, there, are, there will always be light at the end of the tunnel mm -hmm. if, you keep, if you keep at it. And yes. that, that's kind of what I think it's, it's taught me and I hope it teaches other people too, you know? Yeah, that's great. And that's all I have for you. Thank you so much for taking <gasps> time out course. of your day to talk to me. <laughs> of course. I feel so honored and, um, you know, you have such a bright future ahead of oh. you as well and you work so hard and I'm so excited to see where you go and, um, yeah, thank you so much for having me. Thank you. <laughs> of course. This concludes my interview with professional ballerina Courtney Knitting. If you would like to catch Courtney performing, you can visit kcballet.org to find information about upcoming performances at the Kaufman Center. And for more ballet content, you can follow Casey Ballet on Instagram at casey.ballet and Courtney at courtnn13. Thanks for listening to this interview. Wow, all I can say is that this is incredibly inspiring. I'm so thankful that we got to hear from such a passionate person from how it sounds, ballet should absolutely be an Olympic sport with how much dedication and effort it takes to truly master such a beautiful art. Thank you so much, Courtney, for coming on our podcast and being so truly insightful. And also thank you, Grace, for being such a polite and thoughtful interviewer. I wish you both nothing but the best in your dancing careers. Now, let's take some time to remember that sometimes it's important to take a break from whatever you're doing, clear your mind, and relax. For that, let's all take some time to calm ourselves and soothe our minds in Audrey's mindful moment. Hi, my name is Audrey, and I welcome you to Mindful Moment. For today, we will be continuing with meditation. We will be going on a breath count of four seconds in, four seconds of holding, and four seconds of breathing out. So, to start, find a comfortable position and ideally a quiet space, and once you hear the music, you'll close your eyes. Next, you'll want to absolutely clear your mind which sounds hard, but practice makes perfect. If you have a thought come up during the time, push it away and go back to focusing on your breath. Enjoy your moment.
now gently come back into reality. Breathe in and breathe out. And start to have a look around. It's okay if you didn't have a clear mind the whole session. Practice makes perfect. And as we keep going, you'll slowly start to just focus on the music. The benefits of doing this regularly include lower stress levels, reduces anxiety, reduces memory loss, and much more. See you next time. Well, I can safely say that I now feel quite calm. That gentle breathing felt quite good, and the music was just so comforting. Well, I'm certainly calm enough to take on the rest of our segments for today. Now that we finished relaxing, it's time to hear about the latest in video game news. That's right, it's time for our game scoops with Barrett, who will be talking about the new game Goat Simulator 3. Hello everybody, welcome back to GameScube, the show where I talk about up-and-coming games. Last week we talked about Pokemon Scarlet and Violet, and this week we're talking about Goat Simulator 3. <laughs> Currently, it is set to release on November 17th, which is a day away from which I am recording this. Goat Simulator will be released on every major platform, including PC, PS4, PS5, and the Xbox One. When we discuss the gameplay itself, it's very similar to the previous two Goat Simulator games. It's a very big sandbox where you can annoy NPCs and destroy things. Not only that, but you'll be able to play with up to three friends, which means triple the destruction. Customization for your goat will be insane. You can make tall goats, short goats, giraffe goats, pig goats? Not only that, but you'll be able to wear multiple costumes and hats on your regular old goat. We've already seen plenty of footage from the game, and this includes the funny trailer in which Goat Simulator 3 mimics the Dead Island 2 trailer which came out in 2014 with no release date. This is a clear pick at Dead Island 2 which still hasn't released 8 years after the initial trailer. To speak on other topics, there's also a couple pre-order bonuses, or how they like to say it, pre-utter bonuses in the game. Some of these include a goat plushie to play as the original Pilgore in the game, which I'm not entirely sure what that means, but I'm sure it relates to something. You'll also be able to get fully tanked out armor and a goat zero skin and multiple other customizations for your goat. Not only that, but you'll be able to get a digital soundtrack of the game and 3D printing files for similar goats and similar structures known in Goat Simulator. It seems that the developers wanted to go all out for this game. They even jokingly added on the key features that they hired game designers and they were told to add an okay amount of content. That includes a lot of more NPCs and better interaction physics to play around with. Not only this, but based on footage we've seen, they've left in plenty of bugs to play around with. The developers at Goat Simulator clearly just want to have a fun time and make it fun for the players as well. I hope that this game will live up to its standards and be great, just like the previous two games. 
Now, to get more info, I was going to contact one of the developers of the game, but unfortunately, they were too busy to respond. So, all I have to deal with right now is the information we just went over. Fortunately, the game comes out very, very soon, so if I need to cover any more information, I can simply just play the game. Now finally, to get on to the beginning of the story, we're shown in an Epic Games trailer of the game that the goat is captured by a farmer. The goat clearly does not like this and starts attacking the farmer and runs away. It avoids multiple people until it comes up to a dock where it looks at its own reflection. And then suddenly beside the goat is a giraffe and a strange yellow fish looking creature. Now to take away from this story tidbit, I'm not sure there's much to say other than a goat was captured and it falls closely to the other two games. Of course, we'll be given more info about it once the game releases, but until then, we just have to theorize what's going on. Of course, if there is a story, it's not going to be a big portion of the game because the entire point is to wreck havoc as a goat. Well, I think that's about it for GameScoop. I know that this was a shorter episode, but I want to thank you all for listening. If you have any ideas for any up-and-coming games, or possibly even games that have already come out that I may be able to review, shout me some ideas, and I'll be sure to look at them. Thank you very much, and thanks for listening to GameScoop. Have a great day! Thank you, Barrett, for the latest scoop. As a small little addition to this segment, I'd like to note that by the time this podcast comes out to the public, Goat Simulator 3 will have been released. As such, the pre-order is now over, but don't worry. You can still enjoy your favorite insanity-inducing GOAT game by buying the game for Xbox, PlayStation, or Windows. You can now wreak havoc on the open sandbox world with your three favorite friends. Well, with video games concluded, let's go over to our final segment with Kalia and Alyssa, who interviewed Camden Crawford about his love life. Let's listen to some relationship discussions on today's edition of Add Me on Snap. Up and down. My personal experience is just... How many girlfriends have you had? One. One real actual girlfriend. And I was with her for a year, eight months, and four days. How long ago was that? Um, probably close to a year ago. What is one thing about your guys' relationship that you would change so it would have been better? I wouldn't change anything, but i redo it just to re-experience it again, absolutely. Is there anything you've learned that you want to put into like new upcoming relationships from your old relationship? I've learned a lot of things. I don't even know where to start. I guess one thing that I've learned from relationships is that if your standards aren't being met, that's when it's time to let go. But after your honeymoon phase, they kind of go back to the way they were, less innocent, serious. Just, I guess, take your time, for sure. What would be some turnoffs in any future relationship? It depends on what expectations are. Like for, like, like my turn off, like my personal turnoffs. Um, say a lot of my personal turnoffs are just, it's like communication, honesty, support. It's a lot of it is the backbone to a relationship. What is your, like, opinion on high school relationships? Like, do you think they're a waste of time? Not necessarily, because usually, like, I'm gonna I'm I'm talk from a guy 
in a girl's perspective. A guy's standpoint on high school relationships to get that experience of, you know, understanding young love, maturing, you know, to a little bit of mature love, to like actual love and whatnot is is very important because if you don't learn the basis of it, you're not gonna understand it in the future. And I mean, I absolutely do think that high school relationships are important. Again, it's just in those relationships, what's important to you? What would be like your ideal first day with some first date? Like, what would you like first day or first date? Date. Date. So, first date, you got to be strategic with it. You got to, you got to understand her interests. What she likes. I mean, that's that's why talking stages come in handy. You got to really know the person before you can just jump into a relationship. Yeah. Like for a first date, don't go to the movies. You can't. No, do not go to the movies because you, you're not interacting with the person. You're just sitting there watching a movie, sharing snacks. You're not doing anything. There's no. You're not. You know, getting to know this person on a deeper level like you should. This person is just, you're sitting next to him, quiet. It feels awkward, and you're just watching a movie. If you want to go to the movies, you better plan something for the rest of the day that's interactive and fun. If you're going to go to the movies with a girl, you better do it early in the day so the rest of the day is filled with fun. Like, for example, if I wanted to go to the movies with a girl, we're going to go see a movie that she wants to watch, right? Because you want her answers. You're going to go see a movie that she wants to watch. You'll watch it with her. And then afterwards, you're going to go out, let's say, like, for lunch or something. You go out for lunch. And then for the rest of the day, like, main event is right around the corner. Go bowling. See who can be better at bowling. Bowling really brings out the side of people, especially their angry side. I tell you what, I suck at bowling, and I rage every time. Definitely be interactive and fun. Don't be boring. Don't be the typical guy that she always encounters. Like, I'd say... I'd say that first first dates are very important because that's like your first impression. Is there any way that you expect, is there anything you expect at the end of the day? I don't expect too much. I expect communication, okay? Did you have fun? I want to know. All right, cool. You have fun? Great. I plan on doing this again. How about you? Awesome. Um, I'll start thinking and we'll plan ahead. And I mean, that's that. I mean, all I expect is communication, honesty, and just... You know, I just want to know if you had fun or not. And, you know, if I'm for you. You know, if you need time to think, cool, you go on and you do your thing, you get time to think, I won't hit you up. The ball's in your court. But, you know, it's that's my answer. I don't really expect anything. A lot of people expect, oh, I expect to go home and sleep with you, this, that, and the other. Like, nah, like, that's not, that's not cool. Like, a lot of people, excuse my language, but a lot of people, you know, think with their, their body parts more than they do logically. Like they think, uh, I'm gonna try and sleep where, nah, you, you gotta give it time. So I would say that you're a very like in touch with your emotions type of guy. Have you yeah. always been that way or did you like learn to think that way? Oh, that's a good question. I'd say I've always been this way and I can give, I can give thanks to my parents. My parents are very open and honest with me. They don't sugarcoat. You know, it's, they're just, they're honest and I appreciate that. And because of that, you know, I'm much more elevated mentally than I am, you know, for most of the other kids my age. Especially when it comes to understanding, being open-minded and like, under, like, putting yourself in people's shoes and just being, 
you know, open to, like, perspectives. If you had a little sister that was just starting to date, what is one thing you would tell her to watch out for? I'd say, and and I'm going to build off this. I'm going to start with don't trust everyone. Keep your guard up. Get an, like, actions speak louder than words. How are they with you? And then how are they with you, with, you know, when they're around their friends? Then how are they with you, you know, like, in general? What actions speak out red flags to you? But if I had a little sister, I'd tell her keep her guard up. Don't trust everyone. And that actions speak louder than words. And always be open-minded and try not to fall victim. Because a lot of guys seem like one thing, then they get what they want and they bounce. And that's... That's just, that's wrong. I'd definitely be overprotective, and I'd definitely apply the pressure to that dude because I don't play about, you know, my family. I don't play. What is your love language? I'd say some of my love languages is touch. I love, I'm not, I'm not like super, like, I'm not super clingy, but I love hugs. I love holding hands. I love kisses. I love cuddling. I love doing all that. I'd say touch and gifts. I love giving gifts. So... I'd say touch, giving gifts. So, if you don't mind me asking, like, how long did it take you to get over your ex-girlfriend? And, like, what are some, what's some advice you could give to people about, like, getting over someone who really hurt them? Um, I don't mind you asking at all. You guys can ask me anything you'd like. Um, and I'm just going to be honest with y'all, and I'm not going to sugarcoat anything. And, the how long it took for me to get over my ex it took me a while okay it took me some time because in the end it turned out that i loved her more than she loved me and i'm not really going to get into that because it's it's personal not everybody needs to know that situation but you take your time by if if you're with somebody for a long time like i still have pictures of her and i together but i have it saved in a folder so it's not like i randomly scroll through my camera roll or my snapchat memories or whatever it is and just see pictures of her because i don't want to be reminded of that but i'm not going to delete them because of the times that we had so if if you're going through it it's your choice if you want to delete pictures or not i can't i can't dictate that i'd say keep them because sometimes you will have that remorse and that regret feeling of oh i should have kept those don't bottle in your feelings if you gotta cry, cry. Take your time. Take it slow. Don't, don't start jumping into any new relationships because you're just the hurt that you bring yourself without any healing is the scars that you're gonna bring for that person. You don't want to give the scars that you're going through to the next person. Nobody needs to go through that, but people do anyway. Um, take your time. Heal. Be patient. Don't, don't go doing anything stupid. Going back to the gift thing, what do you? think or remember was the most valuable gift you got your ex that i got my ex Ooh. or that you've ever gotten anyone well i mean mm, i've got my ex so many gifts i don't even know i i one of the first things that does come to mind is this necklace i got her it's a it was a tennis it was a tennis chain necklace right it was gold it had diamonds in it and then around the tennis chain it had little butterflies that had diamonds in it and it was just it was it was it was a cute necklace um, because I spent a lot of money on that, so not only is that valuable to me, but that's valuable to her. Um, I'd say another thing is she had this phase where she would game with me, 
Aww. And I absolutely love that and appreciate that as a guy because not a, not a lot of girls will, you know. Take time to learn what you love. Yeah, take time to learn what you love and appreciate and value what you what you value because it's like, you know, I, I see females sometimes they're like, get off that game. Nah, 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 nah. You know, sometimes guys, that's the only source that we got. Sometimes, other than you, that's the only other happiness that we got. Yeah. So it's it's yeah, you know. Anyway, uh, I got her Grand Theft Auto Five, and I was teaching her about the game, and I got her Call of Duty. You know, the the newest one that I came out, and it was Call of Duty Black Ops Cold War. And then I was teaching her about it. That's just. Those are valuable to me because she learned to appreciate what I value, but at the same time, I got to teach her what I appreciate and value, and she learned to appreciate and value those things as well. But out of gifts, even little stuffed animals, like for Valentine's Day, you know, I don't go out on Valentine's Day. I don't really do anything for Valentine's Day because I'm just... I'm just not that kind of person for Valentine's Day. But when I'm in a relationship, I will do something for you. I, I won't expect anything back because, I mean, I'm just, I'm not a big fan of Valentine's Day. But, you know, I got her this, this heart box. And it was, it was uh, full of candies. And then it had notes and everything. And then I got her two teddy bears, too, with it. And then a card. And she absolutely loved it. And those candies, they weren't just random candies. They were her favorite candies. So, yeah, I'd say that value, that's, that's something that, that's important to me as gifts. It's, it's the little things. Camden, thank you for explaining your dating experience and coming onto the podcast. We were glad to have you. Well, everyone, that's all for today on the Leadcast. Be sure to stop in next week for even more fresh and fun segments brought to you by Lead students. So from ballerinas to goats and couples to meditators, we here at the Leadcast wish everyone a wonderful day.